0: when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E.com. Hello, Tour Story listeners. Thank you for your continued support, and welcome to Season 4. I'd like to take a second to thank our friends and sponsors over at Isotope. Here at Ruinous, Chris and I rely heavily on easy-to-use tools like RX and Ozone, for all of our audio repair, mixing, and mastering. Now, Tour Story listeners can get 10% off Isotope plugins or try Music Production Suite Pro for free for 30 days using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-10. To get your discount and check out all of their easy-to-use products, go to isotope.com slash ruinous. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous. And use code FRET10. And thank you for listening. Hi, Lou. Hi. How's it going? Reasonably well.
1: Where are you? I'm in Massachusetts. Where in Massachusetts? Western Massachusetts, or West... Mm. People are starting to call it West Mass now.
0: Uh, How's it feeling there in Western Mass is it opening up? Is it spring timing? Are people out and about?
1: Yes, people are out and about. It's I live in a kind of a small grungy little town and people were hitting the streets as of like last week. They were out wearing very interesting clothes. It's a very shrouded place the winter is kind of I mean, a you know bit of a siege. Yeah. You're, out and you're like, "Oh, I get to see your neighbors again."
0: You all masked up still?
1: Not really, no. It's kind of it's kind of relaxed. I mean, it was a pretty diligent masking place. Not quite as much as like where you are, but
0: I went to see the Melvins last night and no one was wearing a mask except for me and Buzz. I think I was surprised, and there were a lot of people there, but I felt safe.
1: Well, you had a mask on, apparently, that works. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, have you, ha- have you gone to any shows in the last couple months? I, I saw that you attempted to go see um, seven seconds.
1: I did. I attempted to see 7 Seconds. I played a bunch of shows, you know. I'm going to go see Fontaine's DC next week. All right. I think that'll be my first kind of show that I wasn't directly involved with that I'm going to see.
0: I have to be honest. I was surprised to see that you were a Kevin Seconds and or 7 Seconds fan. I don't know why. It's not warranted. But I was just surprised. I was also and still am a 7 Seconds fan fan the crew was a
1: record uh, i actually wore out the crew yeah i was i was big on their i'm I'm like kind of i'm kind of a seven second snob turns out really i was really into their first record because they were a three piece they had a different drummer like an old Mm -hmm. guy and kevin played guitar so when i met him i just quizzed him kind of endlessly about his guitar tone why it sounded like that i really liked his strumming style i think it was really unique and when they when he sort of took over as a just a sort of a vocalist i think it became much less uh rhythmically interesting and i really i sort of took issue with that and i kind of had to i kind of had to eat my words in front of kevin seconds
2: oh <laughs> he's like
1: God. yeah I heard, you heard you didn't like to commit for life i mean he was very nice but i, but I was like ah. i had to i had to I had to own it in front of kevin
0: <laughs> were you a um Speaking of uh, hardcore snobs, were you an East Coast or a West Coast hardcore snob?
1: No, I loved all hardcore. You did? Everywhere. I loved it all. Absolutely. All of it. There was a band called The Rejectors from Seattle that were great. Had a great 7-inch. The Farts were cool. Oh, yeah. Poison Idea. I mail-ordered their first cassette. Mail-ordered the first cassette by The Accused when they were a hardcore band. They they mutated into sort of a steam metal band. But I do um, yeah. Loved, loved, I mean, I loved California hardcore, but I really, really loved the really kind of idiosyncratic kind of like Midwestern stuff. There's all amazing Midwestern stuff like Mecht Mensch and Tar Babies, Kreutzen. I love JFA, Meat Puppets. You know, the only thing I wasn't like super into was like New York hardcore. That was like my only, yeah, that was my only kind of, and I never really listened to the Misfits. So I, I. Yeah, I was.
0: Uh, I, I feel like I might get beat up by a New York hardcore guy, or maybe a Jersey guy. But that's when I stopped listening to hardcore. When I when those bands, who I can't remember their names, uh, uh, got
1: I was Judge in New York City band. Because I was like, Judge, when there was a there band called Judge, it's like I'm like, okay, it's gone too far. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to listen. <laughs> Judge. I'm like, okay, now it's it's just out in the open. <laughs> Judge I'm like okay yeah,
0: and again I don't, I could get beat up for saying that but yeah it just that's when I stopped I, it also probably had a lot to do with my interest in music probably took a left turn at that point and speaking of bands like the accused going from being like a hardcore band to sort of a a metal band and we called it and you probably called it the same crossover bands that got me into playing music. Because I Pardon? was a hardcore guy and mm. the only other person that could play music in my neighborhood was a metal guy. So we yeah. joined forces and shared. A, he turned me on The Slayer, I turned him on to Capital Punishment from Fresno. Oh, oh And we formed a band that sounded terribly like both those bands smashed together by two 14-year-olds. 14 year olds.
1: 14?
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Metal happened that's actually when the split occurred that's when I like I Jay and I went off and did our stuff and then our bass player Scott went off and formed a, a speed metal band with his brother What band well, was that? It was called the Outpatients. They were they started as a hardcore band. Actually they very sort of very originally they were a Motorhead cover band. My friend Scott joined the band cuz his brother was the leader of the band and they they enjoyed a, a period here in Western Massachusetts where they were undeniably the best hardcore band in the area, and did a great cassette and played wonderful shows. And then, then they heard, like Accept or and Venom. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and that was it. And it was like this. It was just a split, and we went we went off our way, and they went theirs. Those are good
0: bridge bands, especially Accept. Very titillating record covers, but. I remember my neighbor bought an accept record, and we went and listened to it, and like, no, thank you, no accept mm-hmm. for me.
1: Really? I mean, what balls to the walls or before that? I mean, yeah, exactly. Called fast. Balls fast. to the wall. Well, that, that was too slow. But fast as a shark, I don't know if you've heard that. It's one of their singles what? before balls to the walls. Before they kind of got bigger, It's fantastic.
0: Is that a gallop a fan- fast?
1: Yes, it's a yeah. galloping. It is just yeah. It's like a. Just a herd of horses. <laughs> it is really, truly. I mean, it's great and it's and it's fast as a okay. shark. It's super fast. It starts with yodeling. It's like O-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o. you hear that, and then the record goes, and then and it's like it's really good. It's like it's it's a it's like a bit of a rounder Iron Maiden.
0: Speaking of another band I missed, it was Iron Maiden. No dice for
1: me. I listened to them kind of recently. My I bought I bought one with my son at a like a used record store, Iron Maiden record. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let's try out Maiden. I've never really, I've liked a couple of songs over the years, but I've never, I've actually, I'm only a, a, I'll be honest, I'm a metal dabbler. I'm a cherry picker.
0: So um, were you just playing dinosaur shows or who else have you been touring with in the last year or so when you were able to get out there?
1: Solo. I do like these backyard shows where people buy tickets online and then I show up somebody's backyard or garage and I play for like, forever <laughs> I just I start playing and I never stop I started like the shows start at like seven and I I just played solo acoustic the last tours I did it was pretty cool like I had my own little PA so I'd set up my PA and then sell my little handmade t-shirts and stuff and all my I dragged all my old you know vinyl and CDs had been sitting in my house all the people <laughs>
0: Speaking of you playing solo, I I have a memory of you playing solo at the OK Hotel a long time ago, and I think it was booked. I don't know if it was booked as a Cebado show or something, but it's so memorable to me because you. I was expecting a band. You came out solo, and you were playing hmm. an Ovation guitar, an acoustic Ovation.
1: I was. Yes. One of those were those crazy space age backs. backs. Really.
0: And I think it was blue. I. I could have made the blue part oh up but, and it had chorus on it was a it was a real at that time i mean it might have been the late 90s or it was mid 90s probably and you know expecting a rock band and you came out and, did you say i had chorus on the guitar i think there was good there was some sort of effect like chorus or something it was wild no,
1: this yeah. is not me no, it's yeah. not me. This is no way
0: that I
1: You are <laughs> <laughs> you were trying to fuck with me because that's not no, true. I swear.
0: I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do some research and I'm gonna find it.
1: Okay, where is the OK Hotel?
0: The OK Hotel is in Seattle, and it was under the freeway bridge that is no longer there. It was kind of the only venue for a long time.
1: Why the fuck would I? What year? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to believe it. It had to
0: be mid '90s. <laughs> It's not not late 90s at all. It had to be mid 90s if not earlier.
1: Okay, well, I didn't do too many shows back then, so it's possible that maybe they was something sub pop had put me up to.
0: I think it might have been a sub
1: pop fest. Yeah, maybe I had to borrow a guitar and I ended yeah, up with you... a My memory is pretty bad, so and especially if it was if it was a, if it was a sub pop related show and in Seattle and in the mid 90s, I would say that I was probably extremely nervous. And generally, mm-hmm. if I play shows when I'm nervous, I don't remember them later on. Well, it was great. I would love to deny this, but I, I, it probably happened because you said it did. Yeah,
0: so. I hope I'm not lying. I hope I didn't completely make it up and it was a dream I had or something.
1: Well, you're not lying, you know. Okay. I don't thank don't, you. I don't want to confuse lying and just remembering things differently. It's not malicious. I wouldn't take it as, you know. Because I'd be playing a blue, a blue ovation with one of those crazy backs on it. That was one of the first guitar my uncle had one of those guitars and Glenn Campbell kind of introduced them to the world. Ooh. And I was as a very young young kid, I was really into Glenn Campbell and my my you uncle are. looked like yeah, I mean I mean he had a show, he had Glenn Campbell Glenn Campbell good time hour and he had he was awesome. He had an amazing haircut and he always wore like really cool suede jackets. <laughs> and the show this show was awesome and my parents had Gentle on My Mind and Wichita Lineman and Galveston, all those un- unbelievably beautiful, atmospheric songs. And he was amazing on TV. And he played, don't know if he played this on a show, but anyway, my uncle was kind of like into Glenn Campbell. And he at one point had his hair cut a lot like Glenn Campbell. And he had one of those ovation guitars. And so are one of my first real memories of playing guitar when I learned how to make chords and stuff was playing it on an ovation guitar. Hmm.
0: Maybe it's time to get one. Reunite. No. No. Okay, <laughs> You don't want that focused plastic back sound.
1: You know what? If I, had, if I had room for it and I was a collector, I would.
0: Another thing I noticed that you did, which was surprising to me, but this is current, was, and it, I came across it because I was looking up St. Patrick stuff just last month, but I came mm. across your special from last year. Did you Incredible. watch it? Yes. cool i nice (laughs) the the last scene is very touching i don't know if you meant it to be but gosh
1: that was real it happened it felt real yeah first time i hugged my mom It was amazing i mean we sort of we did a christmas one too and where we like threw presents at my parents that was (laughs) because we weren't allowed to be anywhere near them so we were like demonstrating this by throwing... We actually wrapped a bunch of empty boxes and threw them at them for the purpose yeah. of the video. It was still really sad, actually.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> we, made it, we made it funny, and then we, I cut the thing together, and I almost cried. I was like, Jesus. Anyways.
0: Well, now I want you
1: to do one every year. Can
0: you do a St. Pat? Can you do a Valentine's one next year?
1: We did one last year. I did four of them, and honestly, I don't know if I have the energy to ever do that again. <laughs> You edit. You edit this podcast. I, I imagine. I awesome. do.
0: I would never edit video,
1: though. Editing is a very abrasive process. It's fun to be God mm-hmm. and to create like that way. It's a. It is a very creative process, but it's also. I, when I was editing video, I would get really cranky. Yeah. You know, it's like don't talk to I me. Mean, like I'm like I can't. It just sets. Me, it sets me on edge. It's like I can't. If I record something and then I spend. You know, five hours on Pro Tools cutting it together, cutting shit together. It's like I just come out like, Ugh! like just my brain has been scrubbed with sandpaper.
0: It's a, that's a good way to put it. It's a, it's a fucking weird process, especially when you do it hours on
1: end. And
0: I really worry yourself. about,
1: I worry about people who do that for a living. I really do.
0: Is there anything else that you did surprisingly over your uh, involuntary break besides holiday specials and? You learn anything about
1: yourself? Oh, I learned a lot about myself. I was thinking about this just, I was thinking about it yesterday because it's tax time. I live like most people do, I think, actually. I live and spent a lot of my adult life and kind of, I feel like it feels like economic peril, you know, like just every, mm-hmm. like, and it comes and goes. And when it comes, it's bad, you know, and it's up, and I'm up at night and, you know, imagining all these scenarios and doing the math. Like, I think I, I got, three months left and then you know like and whatever and i i had a pretty contentious divorce of you know ten, like 10 years ago eight years ago and rough so i've yeah. been um anyway the, the great thing th- that happened in the pandemic was okay so in the beginning of the pandemic i'm like you know for i mean i'm waking up at you know two o'clock in the morning every night and just having initially just all of these financial things and then i was like you know, I can't do anything about this. I can't. And I, and I actually started to focus on like, what is my, and then I realized if I wasn't worrying about that, I would be worrying about something else. So the thing that I should be worried sure. about is worrying. I should really figure out what this is, what this is about, where this worry comes from. And because I realized that it's like, it was like really deep and, you know, especially apocalyptic stuff, you know, it just felt very apocalyptic and, you know, things generally do to me anyway, but I, but I did a lot of like reading, you know, like I read a lot about I did a lot of like I mean self-help stuff. I read this book by this guy from like 1917. He wrote this book called The Master Key System where it's like he it was a mail order course where it's like you can control the world with your mind. And I was like it was and I initially was like I don't I'm like I would never read something like that, but I read it. And I really, I enjoyed it. I mean, not because I literally believe that I can control the world with my mind, but I I enjoyed the, what the guy was saying, which was just that, you know, what you think matters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it kind of depends on where you put yourself. Are you putting yourself sort of at the mercy of the world, or are you are you going to change your, the way you think? You know, and I, I thought that was fascinating, and especially the way it was worded in the sort of turn of the century kind of time when people, when scientific knowledge was really taking off and... Um, the Industrial Revolution and things like that. And he's like, these are things that are made of a man's mind. You know, like, uh, they've we've invented these things because someone envisioned them and they did not exist before. And this this demonstrates the power of the mind. And I, it really, even at the, the, the sort of ridiculous parts of the book or whatever, or parts that, you know, people would scoff at or look down upon, I did actually look at it as like, you know what? I can make a fucking St. Patrick's Day special. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can make... You know, I can kind of like turn this shit around. I can play, I can go online and play shows for people, and have my kid running around. And I can like, and I finished an album during that period too. I was working on some on like a subscriber series thing, and I was like, you know, and I applied for unemployment, which I had never done anything like that. I've never, I've never thrown myself at the mercy of the government, you know. And I was like, wow, maybe this is what I, I can do. This, and I was like shocked. Yeah. It was like I, I was shocked that I could actually apply for unemployment and get it. I just never imagined. Anything like being able to do anything like that just because of my apocalyptic thinking and my self-imposed kind of, you know, limitations, I guess. And so I I, so I would say that's that was one kind of cool thing that happened in the pandemic was that I I stopped like like yesterday. I mean, because things don't are not looking good. It's like it's actually the pandemic and this last year have been pretty devastating, really, actually from what I do. And the sort of damage is pretty pretty deep and it's like kind of, wow, I really do wonder how I'm going to get out of it. And I wonder when I'm going to get out of it and if I'm going to get out of it. And, but when I felt myself like desperately wanting to push myself to this, this, this peak of like, you know, like anxiety, like I would normally do in my pre pandemic life, I would always push myself to these like, you know, and I was like, I was, and I felt the impulse, like, okay, I got to get there. And I was like. But it was kind of like pushing a rock. I'm like, I'm like, I don't really want to fucking do this. I don't want to get, yeah. I don't want to get back in shape about this right now. I just don't. I don't.
0: So was that your first foray into sort of self help?
1: Yeah, books. I've never, I've never been to therapy. I've never done. I mean, my parents put me in therapy briefly when they were separating in the early '80s, but yeah, I've never done therapy. I've never done anything like that. I'm not against it. I just never did it.
0: Yeah, I I um I'll hear about a for lack of a better word I'll just keep using self help books or programs and I hear about them I understand them they really relate to me you know I I feel like I can weed through the bullshit on them and what applies to me and what's practical and mm. I you know go buy the book or follow the program or something and I, I can never whatever it is if it's a book I barely make it through halfway and then I just have a stack of books. You know, positive thinking. Well, you know all those all those things. I cannot get through a program like that, so they don't help me.
1: In some ways, like the beginning is all you really need. <laughs>
0: I, well, I want I want that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I feel the same way. I mean, I read on a Kindle, so I because I read at night because it helps me. Put this, I do too. Put, That's
0: exactly what I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I have I have a lot of like. Yeah, exactly. I have a lot of self-help books. I'm only halfway through, but I consider them all still valuable. Like what I've cherry, what what you cherry pick out of them. And I really like how a lot of them have very similar themes. And they're they're themes that actually go back to that crazy book that the Master Key System by Charles mm-hmm. Honnell. Funny how like a lot of them actually do harken back to that, you know. And but I read a really cool book about you know there was this book called Between Parent and Child, and it was like the, just about how you relate to your children. I read that all the way through. That was really cool. That was a beautiful book about how to relate to your kids, but it's really yeah. about how to how to relate to people in general, you know. And it's 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 kind of cool because I think it, it it works well with I think probably you're I'm gonna going to assume just because you like you say that you know you have a night where you let your kids stay up, and I'm gonna assume that we have similar probably similar parenting styles, you know, coming <laughs> yeah. from our our generation. I, and I thought it was a lot about it that really kind of supported some of my instincts as far as how I approach my children and how I want to relate to them and what would be an effective way to talk to them. But it's a it's a really cool book. It's pretty short too.
0: Short's good. That, yeah. <laughs> that might just, that might be just enough, that might leave my self-help just enough out of it where it, at least the guise of me relating to someone else and it's not pointed at me, maybe I can, maybe I can get yeah. through that book, glean yeah. something from it. Well, another thing you did, you and John did, is you got together and started folk imploding again, thankfully.
1: Yeah, that was was wild.
0: Yeah, and I want to hear about how that happened. But first, I want to play Don't Give It Away. Is that cool with you? Sure. Okay. Yes, sir. Great song. I listened to it about a thousand times on my drive to the mountains yesterday. Really? I did. I mean, not a thousand, but it's a 49-minute drive, and I listened only to that song.
1: Wow, that's like That's like what I did when I was working on the song. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you guys... Well, first, what sparked
0: the reunification of you two?
1: Um, Facebook. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like about Facebook is like people my age, a lot of like our generation of like kind of post indie musicians or indie musicians, they seem to kind of like it, you know, and there's a lot of fanzine writers that, that have, you know, that post really regularly. And then a lot of the regular people post to the fan. I mean, I really like, it's funny how some people who wrote zines still post and I really, am I gravitate to what they say and I gravitate Mm -hmm. to comment sections on there. And I really, and then the people who comment on them, it's like a really cool little like cross section of of the people that I've kind of met peripherally or directly, like during the nineties, eighties and nineties. But uh, John and I were following each other on Facebook and I would comment on things that he said, you know, and I I was reading his blog and I mean, I had never expected that I would speak to him again. I mean, but he was, we didn't have like a There was, we didn't, we didn't have like a, a bad breakup. We just had a, we had a breakup because our, our our lives were, it was, it was a very tumultuous time for both of us back then. in you know, 1999 and when we kind of went our separate ways and I didn't, um, I didn't expect really to hear from him again, which seemed fair enough because we did go through a lot of, um, like I said, it was a really, really tough time. Together And sometimes, you know, people, when you go through really hard times with people, it's, you become inextricably related to that time for those people and they can't, they can't necessarily come back into your life, you know? Yeah. And I understand that. I'm, you know, I totally understand that. But I mean, that's not really my case. I'm sort of a weird psychopath that way. Like I can be like, 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 I can, I can go back and be, do reunions with people who I have very ambivalent <laughs> relationships with you know, very bad experiences with. And I'm able to be like, you know, I can go like, Oh, well, it's a new day. You know, let's figure this out. You know, I can, I can, I can kind of do that, but I don't, I don't expect that anyone else can or would want to do that. Um, but John uh, you know, I was commenting on things in Facebook and we were sort of having, I was pretty, I, I didn't think too much of it. I was just like, Oh, this is cool. You know? And then he reached out to me and said like, you know, can we talk? And this was probably like in the summer of two thousand twenty and uh and I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, so he called me, and we had we talked for you know two or three hours, and he then he would be basically said in the course of the conversation, like Lou, I'm really wondering if we could make music together again, and I was like. Yes, <laughs> you know, I was, but I mean, I said like, you know. But realistically, I mean, we can start this now for sure in a remote way. But it's going to take us at least a year to put something together. And he's like, "Yeah, that's cool. I know that." And uh, that was the beginning. All right. And and then I ended up like when things kind of cleared up, and I went out on a. Did he come here? Yeah, he came here first. He actually because his he was visiting his father in uh, Boston, and he came out here. visit me and we went up to my attic and jammed drums and bass and and i was it was just like i mean he's like exactly the person i remember like when we first met except much older and he's totally and then also i mean much older but i'm but but also he's actually you know he's very passionate about recording and music and had learned all of this stuff about recording and and it became apparent pretty quickly that he he regarded our work together as highly as i regarded which i've always I've always felt like it was, I mean, I just, I really, I I really love what we did together. So I've I've always loved it and I've, and it was really sweet to realize that he felt the same. And I was really grateful that, that we were able, that we did, the music was really the most important part and, and that he shared his feelings about the music. We shared, just shared a love for the music we made together and yeah, then we just put we just set out to put these two songs together. We did it in a really funny ramshackle back and forth way.
0: Yeah, did you send files and, and get together?
1: Yeah, he sent me like phone recordings of him just stumbling around the drum kit. And then I would be like, you know, and I just would sit, I just sat with my bass and just put stuff over the top of everything that I could even, that even partially resembled a song, like an actual consistent riff, you know. And I sent it back to him and then he through the expertise that he's gained with, you know, digital uh, recording and stuff, he was able to like sort of piece something together and then send send something back to me. And then, then I sat with it and, you know, came up with vocals and, and he had a guy, he has a guy he works with in Durham that he loves and trusts, which I was, which was a big plus. I was like, I was like, can we work with this guy? And like, of course, man, if you love him, you know, I love him. (laughs) He works for you. He's going to work for me. And I mean, So, I was able to go to Durham on one of my solo tours and hang out for a day or two and did some vocals down there. And the guy that he works with, Scott, is like totally funny and cool and really idiosyncratic style of recording and like really into cutting, you know, cutting stuff up and beats and stuff, which I think is really exciting, you know, because I I really think, you know.
0: Who, who, um, as the future, Drummer for Full Complosion. I just want to know this ahead of time. Who, <laughs> who, who? Over the years, who's written the drum? Because I, I did in the last week or so go through you know the catalog. Um, who wrote? How do you guys div- divvy up the drums?
1: Well, very early on, I would play the drums. Okay. On, on maybe like a third of what we did. Like I
0: did. I have a couple notes on the early stuff. You'd have I'm just, to ask like, me. I won't mean, record if, it
1: if you want to. If you want to. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the song. I mean, I I wrote like the drums for like a song like "Slap Me" from our first record, which is like mm-hmm. one of my old songs because I could play just like boom, chew, boom, chew. <laughs> that I can do. Yeah. Like I'm not a drummer. I have no. To me, drummers are geniuses in general, and they come in all shapes and sizes and all mental, you know, stripes as well. It's fascinating. Yeah. Drummers fascinate me. The what what the, to be able to the level of coordination that it takes and the way you use. It's all separated between your two feet and your two
2: <laughs>
1: arms. And it's it's truly extraordinary. And uh, John's John's a drummer. He can actually do all that kind of drumming stuff. Yeah, and I can't. I can't. But I knew four on the floor, just or whatever that is. Like, right. Boom. So we yeah. wrote, we wrote some of our best songs with me playing drums, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Very,
1: very proud of what I had done. There's some songs like. Pole position, slap me. Yeah. yeah. I love those songs. And I played drums on them and I'm like <laughs> pretty psyched.
0: I love that but, that pole position song, actually, when I was listening, that that song is killer. And it maybe not cool to compare things, but it reminded me a little bit of Unwound and I was just like, Oh man. Well, that's cool. You guys are but you were yeah, you were all doing the same cool stuff at the same time. Um not to totally simplify folk implosion, but to me, you know, there's a a bit of a straighter pop side of it, and then I I actually recorded some music with John, and we it was mostly like kind of experimental stuff, mm-hmm. and it seems like folk implosion is not necessarily, but split between pop and like noise and art music, if you will. You know, I hear mm-hmm. this heat and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. Is that a conscious thing in your when you guys are collaborating or does it just fall together that way? Do you say, let's write a poppy straighter number or let's get into some noise?
1: I don't know. It's weird. I don't know how to... Because everything we do is very conscious, you know? Mm -hmm. It's very conscious all out of... I mean, we just discuss stuff like endlessly. You do? Yeah. I mean, that's really where the music... That's why we started collaborating is we were talking so much about music. We were just like, why don't we just fucking make it? yeah because we were just talking so much like we we're, were talking about it so much like in a way that like would annoy anyone else i've ever worked with they're like stop let's talk more rock you know what i mean which is fine and i totally sure. but i but our musical conversation started with conversation so everything that we did but i don't know if i would go as far as to say we like go like let's sound like this yeah you know what i mean so it, it's not quite that premeditated I don't know how. I mean, I don't know exactly why we can work together and have things occur like mm-hmm. the way that they occur, considering how uh, premeditated it is. There mm-hmm. is a part of it that, is, that, that, that I don't. That is just. It is just the something about our chemistry as, as people. Yeah. And the fact that, and the fact that John is like pretty. He has you know he has pretty a uh, sophisticated sense of rhythm and and I have sort of a plotting definitely like to have a very sort of single-minded pursuit of melody and vocal phrasings. And yeah, some, somewhere between there we,
2: yeah.
0: we
1: come there.
0: Have you ever gotten a Depeche Mode comparison?
1: No, but I lifted, I wasn't aware. We had done the one-part lullaby record and what's the name of the song? It's like Chain to the Moon, you know, wrote it, you know, recorded it, released it. Put it out, and then one day I was listening to it. And I'm like, "Holy shit!" just I ripped off the passion <laughs> like full scale, like just like like it's like I am false. It's like people are people. Is that people are people? Oh. Like, no, no, it's a everything. No, grabbing hands, grab all they can. Everything counts mm. in love. So it's like I'd lifted the fucking melody.
0: Yeah, I I ask because again, I over the last twenty years, I'd never it never dawned on me and. I was very aware and into depeche mode in the eighties and I was very not into depeche mode in like the nineties. I, I, I feel like I would have noticed it, but I just noticed it last week. I was there's a couple things I was like, oh and I am very into depeche mode again.
1: So yeah, have really listened to them.
0: I think depeche mode could reignite their career with a full complosion cover is what I'm getting at.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Please <laughs> uh are you guys gonna do you have any plans to support this with live performances
1: not right now i mean i just want to write right now and then go on tour with dinosaur jr but other than touring with dinosaur jr i just want to i want to write we have a bunch of stuff we're working on and i'm i'm really looking forward to just the process i love the process of like trying to puzzle out. i love the puzzle i love it so much and that's like a lot. these two songs that we just put out were like they were puzzles. It was like, "How do I do this?" and i what I love about it, and it happens with most stuff that I work on, you know, it's like if you put the time in and you really puzzle it out and you really try to find something unique within it and really listen to what really listen to what the sounds are telling you and And it's wonderful with John because i really he really engages in that conversation with me that I have anyway. you know he he's someone like I can really share my internal conversation with. You know, mm-hmm. he matches my, I don't know. Like, I just don't let things, I don't let things die. I mean, it's just, I just really like, if I, if I know something is in there somewhere, I will find it. And,
2: yeah.
1: and uh he shares that. And so there's, we have this, we have a lot of like stamina, <laughs> like the two songs that we figured out. I mean, like it was just a, there was a, such a journey of like, can, how can we, how's this ever going to work? Like, how can, I mean, I really, I, so much. I mean, and then when, once we hung out together, it was kind of like, I was like, oh, God, you know, like, it's kind of heartbreaking because I was like, oh, God, why doesn't he fucking live down the street? And we'd get together once a week for three hours. I'm like, oh, because that's what we used to do. You know, we used to live right. in Boston together. And once a week, we would get together for three or four hours or and just talk and listen and play.
0: Right. So you're going to go out with di- Dinosaur this year?
1: We have tours in May and June and later August and then through the fall.
0: Do you still like touring? Or did you ever like touring?
1: I do like it. I like it a lot more lately because I started to really learn how to write on the road, which I would never do, oh. which was always hard to do.
0: Yeah. How'd you do that? There's your self-help book.
1: Yeah. Not drinking and write. I mean, I would, I'm would. i I'm not a sober person, but I when I tour... I found that like totally not not drinking on tour was a good thing, and then I found that like basically my obsessive compulsive thing would be directed towards writing. So I just spend hours and hours playing guitar and and writing when I'm on tour with or when I can, and that's been like that's so that's made it like it feel like productive. You know?
0: Yeah, I've tried it a million times. Uh, I, I had some success. I was on tour with when I was in Modest Mouse with Jim Fairchild, we had a little bit oh, of what? success going into the hotel room and using a couple mics and some of those tunes we ended up using for stuff. But it's just so easy for me. It was just so easy to just, even if I'm mixing drums or cutting up drums or just opening Pro Tools, it's just so easy to not do that, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I was doing more just like singing and playing live. And then I think the wonderful thing about you now the devices that we have that rule our lives now is that they're also totally capable of. You know, if I write if I write something like on guitar, I can I can actually make a video of it. That was a big step for me.
0: Right. Uh, well, I'm going to let you go here. One last thing in regards to touring and you, uh, I have a couple memorable experiences with you on when I was on tour. The one that kind of is the funniest is Blackheart Procession. Open for you in Paris or France somewhere outside of Paris, maybe. Oh, we
1: open for you.
0: You open for us.
1: Yes. Come on. Oh. Are you sure?
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I, that this story uh, has influenced my memory. Then, because yes, you
1: know what, maybe I'm not sure. You know what? Actually, maybe you're
0: right this might indicate why I thought that and I could be wrong. Okay. But we showed up to the venue and we were going to sound check and the kids and the promoter and whoever was running the show said, you must, the sort of key to this is the way they pronounced your name. <laughs> we we just walked up to the stage and started setting up and and they g- gently like, I remember tapped on my shoulder and said, you must wait for Lou Baloo. And I, at first I was like, what would you just say? And he said, you, you must wait for Lou Balou. And Paul looked over at me and he's like, did he just say Lou Barlow? And I I said, yeah, I think so. And so they were waiting for you to show up. I think they wanted you to sound check first or something like that. So they wouldn't let us sound check until you got there, but you were doing press or something and you never showed up, which was, it was all a big confusing thing, right? And we weren't, no one was mad about it or anything. But they kept saying your name over and over again. And we'd hear them. It was like resonating into the empty venue. It was like balu Lubalu, Balu. And it really started cracking us up. Eventually <laughs> we did a sound check and we were just sitting in our backstage all alone. <laughs> and about six times different people would come in and say, is Balu here? <laughs> and like, no, he's not here. And I remember one, like the sixth person that opened the door and we just were like, balu's not here. <laughs> Uh, but that provided us with you know a week weeks worth of van jokes at, at least you know wow. I'd get a, we'd stop and get gas and I'd open the van door while everyone was in there if I was the last one and I'd say Lou by Lou if you can imagine touring stupid jokes uh, all right last thing <laughs> another <laughs> last thing I have to say about those days and tour I was in Utrecht once and I have a philosophy about pizza that John Atkins taught me. There's no such thing as bad pizza. It's just some pizza's better than other pizza. And I believe him. Except in Utrecht, I had pizza that was so disgusting that it was almost impossible to eat the whole thing. I was able to do it. So the time you had
1: bad pizza is like it's it is a memory, a distinct memory. It is.
0: It was so salty it burnt my lips. I ate it though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's I I've, I I've, I've, I feel like is, is that the only time that you've had bad pizza? I mean, like bad only, that yeah, long. really, truly, right, yeah. exactly. I have one. I have one experience too, and it stands out in my mind. It's not related to touring, although I was with one of my bandmates at the time. I had bad, bad, bad pizza at Salisbury Beach in Massachusetts. I'll never forget it. And every time I pass that place, I'm like, I had the worst pizza, and it's the same thing. It's like. It's true, no bad pizza. I can eat any pizza. Yeah, and saw my way through it. I mean, I don't do it as much anymore because I have dietary restrictions that I, I really try to adhere to. But yeah, that one. What time, made it bad? Do you know? I don't remember. I'm not that. I'm. I'm. I'm not that articulate. You. I, you. You actually like that. Really came off. You. You remembered. And actually, my memory isn't that great. I just knew it was bad. It's really bad. It was just like I was like ah. It was like puke. I mean, it just tasted like yeah. Right you know, just, just bad cheese. Yeah. Maybe it was actually rotten, but there's, yeah. which is funny because it actually took, took it's actually taken me many years into my adulthood to realize I'm, I'm ever eating anything rotten. Like I can pretty much, I'm like a garbage can and I don't, <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm actually very attuned to what bad food tastes like, but I'll eat it anyway.
0: All right, man. I appreciate your, your stories and your, your new record.
1: No, I can't wait to see you down the road somewhere. That'll be fun.
0: Yeah, I want to see you. I'm going to look for you. Are you going to Mexico next week? No. Oh, strike one. (laughs) All right, man. Take it easy. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I hope to see you out there. All right. Bye.
1: Bye.